everybody. Welcome to another episode of Colubrid and Colubroid Radio. Uh, Zach here as always, and with me is Matt. How you doing, Matt? Doing great, man. I mean, I'm getting a little more free time in my life now that I pulled the plug on all of my <laughs> incubators and racks and cages, and now the the free time begins, which ah. in this life, who knows what you can fill it with. So. Exactly. So are things down for brumation now or are they cleaning out for brumation? Uh, a little bit of A and a little bit of B. Um, gotcha. You know, obviously some of the pythons that I do have here and boas and uh, tropical species of colubrids, they're still up. But a majority of the collection is pretty much cooling down for the winter break here. Gotcha. Yeah, mine, mine, I'm not quite to pull in the plug. I had that trip to Kansas, which I'll be talking about here shortly. Uh, and, uh, it was, it was 10 days. And I thought when I was going into it, I'll just use the 10 days to clean everybody out, you know, kind of logical. And then I got back and I looked at a couple of my, um, my king snake females and thought, yeah, you need one more good meal before I, I feel comfortable doing that. So I'm going to start that process. They had their meal. They're going to. They're actually in the process of cleaning out now, but they'll be down for brumation hopefully uh, by November first, which is the day I always shoot for. So, yeah. But no, crazy things going on as always. Um, last episode, I alluded to going away. That's part of the reason why we're a little bit. There's a, a bit of a larger gap between this episode and our last episode, but I headed off to Kansas in search of Western hognose snakes to get pictures of them. And more importantly, get pictures of habitat, get pictures of everybody there and to grab some data. And 10 days in the field was awesome. I found that two students went with me, Alex Schmacht and Aaron Allison. Uh, we ended up finding 35 different species and we didn't find a Western hognose snake. So <laughs> yeah. it's like, Jesus, holy Christ. So anyway... It was all good um, in the end. I, we got three dead-on-the-road eastern hogs, too, which, you know, <clears throat> six of one, half dozen of another. But we did confirm habitat, and I got all kinds of good data and on where they live. Uh, I got temperature data early morning, mid-afternoon, late at night, right at sunset. Took UV radiation readings, uh, did some soil analyses, so... When it comes time to write up the Western hognose snake natural history section, I got it covered. Uh, but I'm not giving up. I'm, you know, that herper thing, not finding the target still stings a little bit. So I'm already planning my next trip, which will happen in May. But I, I will not be putting this book out to print until I have found a freaking <clears throat> masochist in the wild. That's now a, a personal rule. So, yeah, that's that. And then I got, I got some snakes in um, Matt Dove. Got a box from him today with a bunch of Nerodia in it. And everybody that listens to this knows that I'm a Nerodia maniac. So uh, diamond backwater snakes um, and some red bellies. And yeah, that's basically my update. What's new with you? Well, um, I actually got some snakes in today too. Kind of an interesting aspect of it was one of my friends is going through some health issues. And mm. I ended up acquiring... Whew, Probably every Mandarin I've sold him since 2010, um, uh -huh. which was quite the group of Mandarins. Um, so over the past couple of years, I've kind of phased out Chinese Mandarins. 
and I've actually now brought them back into my collection. So bringing back in um, some of the original Sichuans as well as Hunans and some of the different selective breedings that uh, Carl Crumkey had done in the past too as well. So that's kind of exciting. And I acquired a pair of Ritalii, oh. which is interesting too on a personal note because I had sold the gentleman um, a pair of these ooh, probably five years ago now. And they're the first snakes he's ever bred in his life. And he wanted to gift me a pair of them because they've brought <laughs> him so much joy over the years and kind of reclaimed his um, persona for the hobby, which I really don't need more really. I, but um, I mean, the aspect and how that kind of, circle around i thought was very cool to actually see especially in the, awesome. the hobby that we have so mm -hmm. and then yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you, i mean that speaks volumes about you man so keep doing what you're doing yeah <laughs> well you gotta have fun with it right mm -hmm. we're all in it for the right reasons um what was it uh, a week or two ago i brought maggie to her first reptile show for nerbc mm -hmm. um, so she got to see that there weren't many colubrids there um, overall. I was actually kind of shocked to see that there really weren't many corn snakes even really? presented. Um, you know, your classic pets, uh, crested geckos, ball pythons, boas. Um, you know, there was a select few here and there, but I was kind of shocked to see that we weren't seeing more colubrids presented in the overall area, maybe because of the time of the year because a lot of the stuff has already been claimed and mm -hmm. identified. Um, but it was, um, it was always good to see some great faces, including uh, Clint Bartlett, uh, <laughs> who grabbed me and gave me a big hug and kiss. So oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Can't ask for anything bit more than that. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I was, um, when Tinley was going on, I was supposed to be flying home, but I got caught up in part of the airplane issues that everybody's having. And our flight out of um, Wichita was canceled, so I ended up spending an extra day in Kansas. But um, Dan Sheehan was like my eyes on the ground in Tinley, and I was kind of hoping I was. I, I told him what I wanted him to keep an eye out for, and I was like, I don't need any more snakes. And sure enough, he sent me a message that had the most beautiful, though very obese. <laughs> Blotched king snake, um, going eye, big female. I have two adult males, so I actually had a Tinley pickup, and I wasn't even there. So yeah, there you go. go. Mm -hmm. Well, even the the flight episode there with all the cancellations. I remember going back to the hotel on Saturday with Maggie, um, and there was probably over two hundred people in the lobby. Oh my god! <laughs> and obviously, every hotel was sold out in the area because of everything else going on as well as limitation of rooms, occupancies. And mm -hmm. it was very uh, interesting to say the least. Yes. Did uh, Maggie like the show? She did. Um, you know, towards the end, you know, we walked around. She wasn't really seeing what she was looking for. And any child eight years old starts to get a little bit antsy and wants to leave at that <laughs> point in time. Um, but she did get a pickup. Um, and not only an animal, but she did get a another pair of tongs from Robin from Redline Science. Um, nice. She was eyeing those solid gold ones, and 
Robin was gracious enough to uh, gift her a pair. Oh, that's so, pretty cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. All righty. Well, uh, anything else to report before we jump into this? I don't think so. I think we're pretty much caught up with most of our housekeeping. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let's here. just dive right in. So today we are heading over towards the Colubroid angle of Colubrid and Colubroid Radio uh, with our very first focus on a nature scene. Uh, group. So we're going to be talking with Rob Shea, who is the garter guy on both Facebook and Instagram, correct? Yes. And uh, obviously, I've, I've alluded to this a lot. Um, Nature Scenes, uh, Thamnophis, Nerodia, those guys, they're my faves. Uh, I know that I talk about false water cobras a lot, and they are my favorite species of snake. But as far as my personal favorite group of snakes, um, love my dipsadids, but nature scenes have always done it for me. And I thought, you know, we really need to bring on somebody to talk about nature scenes and somebody who basically claims to be the garter guy <laughs> is the guy that we should probably bring on to do that. And I have a pair of um, Lake Chapala. I think I'm saying that right. I might be saying it wrong. Um garters that i purchased from him as well as i don't know which lake these ones are but they know if it's at equus scotti uh and, and they're they're freaking phenomenal they're growing like wheat in fact they're they're probably growing faster than any snakes i've ever had in my life to be honest with you so we're going to bring on um rob today and we're going to basically do all things garter snake and then if we have time we might hop into other things but you know i have no issues with this being garter snakes the entire time so Without further ado, Rob, welcome to Colubrid and Colubroid Radio. I'm glad to be here, guys. Yeah. So, you know, we, we have a, a bit of a format that we follow, keeping our inspiration from NPR. So tell us a little bit about your story. How how long have you been doing this? Has this been a lifelong thing? Is this a recent development? Um, what got you into herpetoculture? So um, definitely lifelong. You know, I remember being a little kid and... Um, and my dad telling me about he, you know, when he would go out and he would catch hognose snakes and king snakes, you know, and, and here I am like five, six years old. And it made me want to go do that, you know, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I remember going out in the woods and flipping a million logs. And just one day I found a ringneck snake and it blew me away. And I, you know, I was hooked ever since then, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I've, I've definitely been in the hobby for many, many years, kind of. Uh, backed out of it for a while. Um, you know, I was, I was in the, I was in the Marines and I, I, I traveled the world, obviously I kind of had to back out for a little bit, um, which kind of stinks because some of the, um, the garter snakes that I had don't mm -hmm. even exist anymore as, really. as far as the, um, the morphs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had, I had a, they're called silvers. Um, I got mm -hmm. them from, from Scott Felzer and they just disappeared. You know, who knows what happened to them? Um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of got big back into it about maybe, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. And I've just been loving it ever since. Awesome. 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 So one question we ask is basically tell us just a little bit about your collection. Now, obviously you have the Thamnophis, but are there other snakes in the midst, lizards, turtles, or are you just a snake guy? Like where, where do you fall on that? that so, thing? um, I love all reptiles to be honest with you. Um, 
I've gone through a lot of things. Um, at one point I had, you know, snapping turtles. Um, I, I had a big collection of dart frogs at one point. Um, they're a lot of work. They're awesome. Very rewarding, but they're a lot of work. Um, but mm-hmm. currently at this time, I'm just working with, uh, probably about 90% garter snakes and then about 10% other colubrids. Um, but just the garter snakes alone, you know, mm-hmm. they, they take up a lot. So, so what kind of eccentric brought you to garter snakes, I guess. So there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, what I always loved about them was you don't you don't need morphs. You don't need any morphs at all to have mm-hmm. absolutely every color and paint job you can think of. Um, and then on top of that, they're one of the few species that cohabs very well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're not like kink snakes where they're going to immediately latch on to, you know, the first snake they see. Um, they, you know, you can keep them in groups and, and you can actually keep different um, species and subspecies depending on size together in groups. Um, obviously, you, you don't want to mix sexes for obvious reasons but um that and the fact that you know they do well in in bioactives they which i really love um they do really well in there they're extremely active i mean if you give them um if you give them any kind of uv they're going to utilize it they love it they do well with with water schemes they do well with just about anything um and you know being such a diverse colubrid that isn't too, too big really appealed to me. So, I mean, granted, I have some species that get very big, including <laughs> the Scots garter snakes that I, I, you know, you got from me. They, they get big. Um, but, well, I'm sorry. They get big in terms of garter snakes. I mean, yeah. let me clarify that. <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, don't, don't be surprised if they get 46, 48 inches on you. Uh, I would love that, <laughs> to be honest with you. So... So on this same line of thought, uh, you know, line of thought with why garter snakes, if we were to kind of make this more broad, this is a question that we love to ask all of our guests. So you you can do the garters, you can do your your milks and your your lamps, and and you can also do pythons, boas. Like, what about you makes colubrids it versus pythons, boas, you know, all that kind of stuff. We're trying to define what a colubrid keeper is, if there even is a definition. Uh, so, you know, why colubrids, why, why do you not have the pythons, boas, things like that? Well, they're the best. (laughs) Um, that's a common answer, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, honestly, I, I, I think what it is, is for me at least is, I mean, I, and I don't think that there's even really a close second, Uh, well, with the exception of venomous is, you know, there's so many just phenomenal color options out there. I mean, between mm-hmm. patterns and and fluorescent orange and, and blues and yellows. And I mean, what, you know, very, very few other um, um, geniuses are going to really offer that, um, you know. Mm-hmm. I, and granted, some fluids do get big, but, you know, most of them are they're under six feet for the most part, um, which is, you know, much more manageable. I, I think a, a big limitation that a, a lot of keepers have is space. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, granted, if I could have every room in my house with the exception of my bedroom full of snakes, I would. Unfortunately, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're just the, they're the best, you know? <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> so 
we can dive into the to garter snake husbandry and care and, and all that jazz <laughs> now. Okay. Um, so one of the things I wanted to talk about is is and, and this was definitely something that I liked, and you've already alluded to it, that kind of drew me to the garters last spring when I was when I kind of had my little epiphany of I want to keep what I want to keep and I want to keep things the way I like to keep things. And I am definitely I enjoy naturalistic keeping. I enjoy bioactive keeping. Um, but it seems like the, the, the garter people, if you will, kind of have their standards of care, which are, are unique to garter keeping. Um, like, for instance, you see a lot of like uh, glass aquaria being used or exoterras being used. And, you know, with other groups, if you mention an exoterra, you're going to get flamed and destroyed. With garters, it's kind of almost like the standard norm. Um, and I think it'd be cool to kind of, one of the things that we want to do with this podcast is dive into the different subcultures of colubrid keeping. So what do you view kind of as the the garter starter? Like what makes garter keeping different compared to other colubrids and, and what's the why behind it? All right. So that's a great point. Um, almost all of my garters right now are in um, glass aquariums. And I, I hope that anybody that listens to this podcast that they that they take what I'm going to say seriously. And the reason for that is, you know, garter snakes are not like other colubrids. They love to get wet. They love to go in their water bowls and get out and go in their water bowls and get out. And, you know, I, I experimented with the tub thing when I, when I first started and I, I keep other colubrids in tubs, but when you have, a, you know, when you have a snake that's constantly getting everything soaked and, you know, they're in that, in that tub, you're just, you're not getting the ventilation. Everything's going to get too wet. It's going to cause skin issues. It's going to cause upper respiratory infections. Um, you know, so there's, there's ways to combat that, obviously. Um, you know, I mean, if, if you chose to go that route, but me personally, I've just always found that it's easier to keep them in, you know, a tank with a ton of ventilation on top, um, I, I almost exclusively use Cypress um, because of how absorbent it is. You know, if you use Aspen, which is fine, you know, a lot, a lot of people do, um, especially with some of the more aquatic garters, like, like the Equis, they're constantly going in and out of the, you know, and everything's just going to get soaked all the time. So what I, what I found was best for them was to use, um, you know, Cypress, very well uh, ventilated tank and a UV bulb, which they absolutely love. Every single species of garter snake that I have loves them, um, you know, increases their appetite, makes them really active. I mean, if you turn it on in the morning, because they're, they're, they're a, a diurnal species, you know, at nighttime they, yeah. they, they disappear. If you turn on that UV bulb in the morning, within 15 minutes, they will all be out literally hunting. It's, it's awesome to see. Mm -hmm. Um, with that said, everything that I, that I just uh, mentioned, you know, um, naturalistic and bioactive um, enclosures fit within that. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and I think because of that, that's the reason that, um, that the garter community, if you will, has, has really adopted that. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very, it's aesthetically pleasing. It's, it's awesome to look at, you know, I have a big hundred gallon um, tank in my, in my house right now, or I have a, a bunch of Lake Chapala garter snakes in it and they're always basking. They are always crushing the plants, but um <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but you know, they're always they're always either basking or they're or they're soaking, you know, and just just what they do. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's not to say again, that people can't keep them in tubs. Um, if, if you do, I would just highly recommend that you have just, you know, a ton of, of ventilation because if not, I've, I've just seen me personally, you know, I've, I've done a lot of trial and error over the years and I, I've seen so many of them come down with, they're really set um, so susceptible to uh, URIs um, from mm-hmm. being too moist. It, I just, it happens so much. And then I'll, you know, I'll, I've taken those snakes, they're having, you know, they're wheezing and I blast them with UV in a dry environment and I never heard wheezing again. Um, you know, so it's just, just that they're, that particular genus, that's just the way that they like to stay. Um, and again, I'm not, you know, I'm not bashing the tub guys cause I do, I do keep other colubrids in tubs, but them, them in particular, I just think it's really best for them. Yeah. I, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Now you have far more experience than me, but I, I can say that I tried the tub thing for a very short period of time and got blister disease. Like yes, exactly. Right. It was like within 48 hours yeah. and I wasn't even really, this was not long-term. This was me coming up with a quarantine situation. And I thought, well, I don't necessarily have an extra XO to set them up in. So I'll just burn a bunch of holes in this tub um, get the ventilation where it needs to be. And even that wasn't enough because like you said, they were in the water, then they yeah. were in the mulch, then they were in the water, then they were in the mulch. They never got dry. And then I got the blisters. Um, so that, yeah. And, and I can definitely second. I, I have um, my red spotted, I have Oregon red spotted garters in a naturalistic enclosure. Uh, and that is without question, you know, the 60 snakes at my house and all their different setups it's in my office. Um, that's they're in a four by two by two big PVC that I did put extra ventilation in, but they've got UV and all that kind of stuff. And they're just always doing something like I find myself. It's the only Viv I have where I'll just sit and watch them because one of the three girls is always doing something. Um, they're just kind of, that's why I like them is exactly what you hit on. It's the fact that they just, you know, they're, if you want a snake that's not going to hide and is going to be out and inquisitive, um, all right, well, you know, this is it. Yep. And, and, and you're absolutely correct with the colors. One of the things um, that I, I, from Kansas, I got to see the red sideds in the wild. Uh, and I'd seen them in shows and I've seen pictures of them and da, da, da. But we just must have been where like the stellar Kansas red sideds were. And I put a picture up on my Instagram and went so far as to say, like, these things are cooler than Scarlet King snakes. And I've caught both now. And that's my personal opinion. But like the coloration of these animals, I don't know how everybody doesn't have them, (laughs) you know, based off the colors. And I'm not advocating don't go out to Kansas and catch a red sided garden snake. (laughs) We've got plenty of people breeding them. Um, But just when I was in Kansas, I was we caught so many snakes. We were out there and the flipping garter snakes were the ones that the students were like dr loafman you gotta get back in the car i'm like i I can't put this thing down like this thing's freaking phenomenal so no i just don't think that they get anywhere near the credit that they they deserve so as far as keeping them's concerned uh what is the day in a life of a garter keeper because i i can definitely say that is where they diverge dramatically is that the husbandry and in seems to be very different than your classic rat snake king yeah. snake feed him a mouse once a week you're done so kind of 
entertain the audience that might be thinking about garter snakes of what it is to be a garter snake keeper versus a uh, uh, you know a rodent eating colubrid keeper. Well, you brought up a very good point. <laughs> um, you know, my my king snakes and my milk snakes, my my rat snakes. It's it's so easy. I I you know I get my tongs out, I feed them a frozen thawed um, pinky or, or mouse, and that's it. And then a week later, I do the same thing. Garter snakes, it isn't that easy. Um, so, personally, what I do is um, is I use fish. They absolutely go crazy mm-hmm. for the scent of fish. Um, and I, I mix them with rodents. And they just destroy everything. Um, <laughs> what, what, what I'll typically do, um, because I feed in groups, mm-hmm. um, garter snakes love to fight for food. They will literally have a giant plate of food in front of them and see another snake in the corner with a little tiny piece of mouse and just go to that, go to the other snake and, and try to steal that piece of food. It's, it's hilarious, but it's also annoying. So, <laughs> so if you do, um, if you do cohab, you know, you do have to watch them while they eat. Um, personally, I love doing it, you know, cause I, mm-hmm. I, I, I love them. Um, so it, it isn't something that's, you know, as quick as, you know, here's your mouse. No, you know, you, you do have to observe them if you're going to keep mm-hmm. them in, in groups. Um, something that I, that I want to want to touch on with that is, um, and, I, and I was guilty of this for a long time is, you know, people love to feed their garter snakes live fish. It's absolutely awesome to watch them hunt. Um, you know, I, I remember having litters of, of, of garter snakes and, you know, they're two days old and they're hunting guppies. And it's, just, mm-hmm. it's it, you know, it's, it, I can watch it for hours. It's awesome. Don't do that. Do <laughs> not feed live fish if you don't have to. Um, I've lost too many snakes to live fish from parasites. Um, you know, go the frozen thawed route. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I've even seen people just today asking where they can buy tadpoles or live frogs. Don't do that. They will destroy them. They love them. And it's awesome to watch them hunt, you know. Um, but it's, it's just, it comes with too many problems later down the road. And, and as I'm, I'm sure you guys know, parasites will often, they'll be dormant for a long time and then they'll just pop up out of nowhere later. Um, it's, <laughs> don't do it, please. Um, you know, and another thing with, with garter snakes and I'm, I'm sure, you know, everybody knows this is they love to poop. Mm-hmm. They, they love it, especially when you pick them up. Um, and a lot of my photos, you'll see I'm wearing gloves and I, there's always somebody who says, why are you wearing gloves? You're afraid to get bit. No, I'm not a, a garter snake's not going to hurt me, obviously. Um, but they are going to poop on my hand quite often, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> or they're going to fling it at me. They're actually amazing at, at doing that. I don't know how, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But, um, but you know, as, as, as far as, as far as keeping them versus, versus other species, you know, Particularly when it comes to to feeding, you're gonna you're gonna put a little more work in, um, especially when they're when they're first born. You know, I've I, on this podcast I've heard people talk about colubrids being small. Um, until you've seen a newborn garter snake, you have not seen a small colubrid. There, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking three inches long. You know, just so thin. Um, the good thing is that they're they're very willing to eat almost immediately. Um, within a day or two, almost all the time, not always, but, um, so yeah, <laughs> I kind of went off on a tangent there, but 
No, no, that's, that's what we want you to do, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, Rob, real quick, talking yeah. about feeding. Um, when I kept garters while I was doing my master's, actually on spatial habitat use of Thamnophis uh, or Talus, I would always mix in calcium and vitamins. Do you do any sort of supplementation for the animals with your food? I have, um, especially with, with newborn. Um, or, you know, if, if I've gotten a snake come in that's, that's malnourished, um, to touch on that, uh, when I say that I, I feed fish, I don't feed fillets. Um, I, obviously, it's it's just protein. There isn't really a whole lot there. I feed the whole fish, um, whether it be silver side or trout, you know, and I'm, and I'm putting everything in there, the head, the guts, the eyes, all the above. You know, I'm getting the full... Full nutritional value. I mean, technically, you could just feed fish, and you wouldn't even need to feed pinks or any kind of other rodent if you if you want about that way. But that's what I do, regardless. Uh, with with all my snakes, um, you know, I'm I'm using the whole fish. Um, that way, you know, you don't have to, you don't really have to supplement. Um, but when it, you know, I, I have in the past multiple times actually, um, especially with with snakes that have come to me that just you know were um, captive bred. You know, so, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, um, that, that, that's normally what I would do. Full fish. So, so, so I see a lot of people feeding worms and, you know, being the zoologist that I am, I know that worms are, worms carry worms. That's the saying, like they are loaded and they're oftentimes intermediate hosts for an, all kinds of crazy. You're hundred percent right. Is, is is the worm a no? Is it a yay? It's a, it's a hard no. Hard no? It's a hard no. Yeah, okay. I, I actually had somebody um, messaging me today asking me um, about their diet, and he was, you know, he was asking me, um, you know, should I use night crawlers? And I said, as a last resort, you know, um, if, if the snake just, you know, if you don't want to force feed and it's not eating anything else, because for whatever reason, night crawlers are a crack to garter snakes. Yes. They go crazy for them. I don't care if it's a garter snake from Guatemala or from, you know, northern Canada, they all love them. So, you know, maybe use two cents. Um, but no, I, you're absolutely right. I've, I've lost snakes for that, ex- you know, exact same thing. I'm, I'm 100% frozen thawed. Everything that I feed them from the time that they're born and, uh, you know, until the time they're, they're adults or I'm shipping them off. And that's, I actually tell everybody that. And, I you know, a lot of people, and again, you know, it's so fun to watch them eat you know, of this, mm-hmm. this annoying worm that's, that's, that's going crazy or, you know, or a, a, a guppy or a minnow, but don't, don't do it. You know? Mm-hmm. So, so where do you get your, your whole fish? Do you do this online or do you, are you fortunate to have like a market that you can go I'm to? I'm very fortunate to have a mom and pop, um, fish shop, exotic fish shop uh-huh. right down the street from me that is constantly selling silver sides. Um, I have bought, um, uh, store uh, whole trout in the past, kind of b- blended them up in a blender. You know, it's kind of gross, but they mm-hmm. love it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it's you can order silver sides online, frozen. They will come right to your house. You know, it's kind of, it's it's kind of the same concept as using, um, you know, Rodent Pro or any of those other um, mm-hmm. any of those other sites. And, and so, when you get the silver sides. Are, are you when the when the snakes get big enough? Are they just eating an entire silver side, oh, or yeah, are you still cutting them up? Easily. Yeah, okay. My 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 Lake Patsy garter snakes. It, you know, he, she's eating three or four of them. 
she's diving in and grabbing several of them at once and destroying all of them. Yeah. So. Gotcha. Cool. 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 So with the babies, you mentioned that they're small. Um, what, what, what is specific to their care? So kind of walk us through how often are you feeding? What are you feeding? What's kind of a normal growth rate? Uh, just kind of the, the ABCs of, of baby garter snake care. Cause I got to experience this over the past couple months. Um, and, uh, I was not prepared for the willingness for these little boogers to eat. <laughs> it just seemed like yeah. they were never full. Yeah, you're right. So. Well, um, that, anyway. that's actually a very, very good question. And, and I, I get that a lot as well. Um, it does vary a little bit between the subspecies of, of garter snake, but they have an insane metabolism. They will eat every day. Um, I don't feed them every day, um, but probably every third day um, I'm feeding them mm -hmm. and they don't get, they don't gain weight. They don't get fat. They just grow and they grow very quickly, mm -hmm. um, which I guess from, you know, an evolutionary standpoint makes sense considering how small they're born, that they would grow quickly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if, if you're feeding your, your baby garter snakes the same way that you feed um, other species, they're, they're just not going to make it. Um, and, and you're going you're gonna to say to yourself, why does the snake keep losing weight? Why isn't it thriving? Why does it become lethargic? You have to feed them a lot when they're, when they're first born. Um, after about a year, you know, obviously you can, you can cut back, feed them every seven to 10 days. Um, but as babies, they are just, they're nonstop hunters. They will eat, especially mm -hmm. the, the, uh, Scots garter snakes. They are mm -hmm. psycho eaters, um, probably because how big they get and how fast they have to grow, um, in the wild. But yeah, um, it, it's very important to feed them often and feed them new nutritional food. Um, don't feed them worms. Don't feed them guppies, you know, because they will also eat guppies almost two days after they're born. They're, they're very sight oriented, um, mm -hmm. you know, anything moving. And they're also very scent oriented, which is probably why they're such great hunters. Um, but yeah, no, if, if you do have garter snakes, um, whether you get it from me or anyone else, don't feed them live food and feed them often and they will thrive for you. Um, I, I spoke to someone today actually about baby garter snakes and she, she said to me, you know, somebody mentioned to me that they have a high mortality rate. And I said to her, um, well, that's because most of the ones that are coming to the hobby are, are, are wild caught or the person that had them prior to you was feeding them goldfish. Okay. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, always ask these three things is what I said to her. Um, you know, are they captive bred? Unfortunately, you can't trust everyone when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, you know, what have you been feeding them? Um, hold on. What was the other thing I said? Eleven brain. <laughs> hmm. Um, God. Oh, wrong person. I got a lot of messages today. There you go. <laughs> Oh, here we go. Okay. Oh, have you ever fed them, uh, you know, amphibians or fish live at all? Don't buy them um, because they're, they're, they're going to present issues um, later on in life. And the other is, you know, how many times have they fed? Um, a, a lot of breeders, for whatever reason, 
they'll push out garter snakes um, after their second or third feeding. Don't do that. Um, they have big litters, you know, depending on the subspecies. I, I, I just had um, a valley garter snake that had 26 babies. Um, wait, I, I personally will wait until they've all had um, 10 meals at least, you know, until they're thriving. Um, the last thing that you want is to, is to get a snake that you think is thriving because it had a meal and then push it out. And, and I, I won't do that. So I always ask people to ask those three things, you know, how many meals have they had? What have they eaten? And are they captive bred? And I, I think that those three things alone will help anybody that's, that's looking to purchase baby garter snakes. Hey Rob, just yeah. going back real quick on, um, care of neonates. Do you keep them communally? I do. Yes. Then? Yeah. Okay. And, it, and it's, it's weird because I'll, I'll put them in a tank and I'll put five or six hides in there and they will all be in, in the same hide. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's a comfort thing for them. Um, I, I don't know if, if, if they developed, you know, um, if they developed it as like an anti predation thing. Um, but they, they will always stick together when they're babies. Um, at, as they get older, they'll kind of, you know, they'll kind of go off on their own, but yeah. Um, the only thing is, is again, you know, and I, I had alluded to this earlier is when you feed them, when they're groups like that, cut your pieces of food very small because that way they'll eat them real quick and they won't fight over the food. Helps a lot. Yeah. <laughs> No, it, it's funny you talked about the communal aspect of these animals because normally cohab is like a, a dirty word right. in, in herbal culture, but it definitely is an accepted practice with nature scenes. I cohab the water snakes I have, the Nerodia, um, and I know that the other guys that take care of Nerodia do, this, do the same. There was a manuscript that was published, maybe it was 2019, maybe it was 2020, I don't remember when, but people actually tested to see if garter snakes had what the what, in pop size circles it was published as like garter snakes have friends but basically what the reality of it was is that garter snakes show a very high kin selection so they're basically able to recognize their siblings and there's something with this group of snakes where being gregarious and hanging out together and finding good habitat is part of their general biology wow. so the fact that they're all hanging out together is exactly what you would expect to see based off what the uh, the scientists who did that you know project showed. And they went so far as to show that there were basically different groups of snakes, and they tried to force snakes from group A that formed naturally with group B that formed naturally. And they in that situation, they would stay in separate hides. But if they gave them the option to go back to their original group, they immediately became gregarious wow. again and went back to their 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 normal group. So this is definitely a group where where, where the science shows that the cohabbing's fine. So one of the things that I noticed with my animals, I want to see if you've noticed the same. This was more with Nerodia than with the garters, but um, they are closely related. Is I was raising up a, a litter of um, raw banded water snakes together, and my feeding responses were like off the chain, and then I separated them all out and started feeding them and. You know, initially they didn't really eat well, and I thought, okay, it's the stress of moving. And then, like two, three weeks into this, they were eating, but they weren't eating. And I decided, you know, this isn't good, so I kind of put them all back together again. And that competition, I think, yes. drove their feeding responses through the. Do, did, did you have you observed the same thing? Hundred percent, you know? yeah. And I and I, I think competition was was the right word there, um, because mm -hmm. like I said, 
there'll be a big pile of food right in front of them and they'll notice a snake hiding, you know, behind a plant with a piece of food in their mouth and they will drop what they have in their mouth to go try to take that. Yeah. It's, I think it's definitely a competition thing. Um, they'll, they'll grow quicker that way. Um, mm-hmm. and their feeding responses will be insane if you do it that way. So yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to watch, but you know, I, I, again, it's something that you do have to watch. Um, mm-hmm. cannibalism is very, it's extremely rare with, with most nature scene actually, but especially with Thamnophis, um, almost every time that I hear somebody say, Oh, my garter snake ate this other garter snake. Well, it didn't, it didn't eat that garter snake. It, it, latched onto the piece of food that that garter snake was too stubborn to let go of and they just Mm -hmm. kept going with it so (laughs) yeah it's definitely it's definitely a a competitive thing with them for sure but you know as long as you keep an eye on them i think i think it's fine so then as far as your your husbandry is concerned and we we talked about the the glass aquaria and the ventilation and the bedding what are we doing for heat are these critters that you can keep ambient or do they have a basking site if they've got a basking site what is the basking site temp is there a standardization uh you know with those kind of middle with those juveniles and adults when you get to that level of care what what, what's the setup for them versus what you would be keeping your neonates in so a garter snakes are extremely cold tolerant they will die much quicker from being overheated than they will from Mm -hmm. being cold um you know which is why they're found all the way up in northern um, northern Canada, um, mm-hmm. you know, personally, what I do is I use UV, and that's it. I don't do anything else, and they uh-huh. they really don't need it. They really thrive at room temps, um, you know, and that that comes into play with a lot of things for them, you know, um, as far as you know, shipping. You know, I, I I won't ship if it's hot. If it's if 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 the night temps are going to the thirties, they're completely fine. Um, I, I actually cool them at around 38 degrees for about three months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've never lost one while, while cooling. They're an extremely cold tolerant species. Um, so, you know, so as, as far as the heat goes, I, I really wouldn't use any, any, be- any belly heat. Um, I would either go room temp or I would just go UV with them. Um, and they really, really just thrive there. Um, you know, Room temps is, 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 is what they're best at, you know, similar to, you know, a lot of Asian colubrids. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I, if, if you're thinking about keeping it really warm, I wouldn't do that. Um, there are some species of garter snakes that do like a little warmer, um, the, um, Thamnophis scolaris and Scaliger. Um, but they're also found, you know, really high elevations in, in, you know, Southern Mexico where it's extremely dry. Um, yeah. So yeah, there, there, there is exceptions. Um, but I, I wouldn't go too hot with, with any of them, even, even the Scaliger and Scalaris, I, I wouldn't do that. Interesting. So with your UV bulb, is it a 5.0? Is it a 10.0? Um, I think I use a 5.0. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, they, like I said, they, they just really don't need it that hot. Um, I, I think that they really appreciate the, the UV more than the heat itself. Um, you know, um, and they've really thrived for me like that. I, I've actually had snakes that were too stubborn to get off of belly heat and just died. <laughs> yeah, um, you know. So I stopped using it completely. I, I haven't used belly heat in years. Um, I'm I'm 100. percent You know, I'm a pro UV guy. Um, they they really really love it. So and and it, and it affects their behavior too. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, become way more active almost immediately. Um, it's 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 really it's interesting to watch, and it's it's a hundred percent every single time. So, but like I said, there 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 are some exceptions. Um, as far as there are some that like a little warmer. Um, I, I I do keep my scolaris at a, I, they have a warm spot of about ninety degrees. Um, and which you know they'll bask um, in the warm spot after they eat or when they first get up in the morning. Um, but aside from that, they're they're at the room temp side all day. Interesting. Yeah, you know one of the coolest things I ever saw was actually garter snakes on top of um, snow. Oh yeah, I'd, yeah. I mean, it, it was probably the coolest thing I ever saw when I was doing some of my field work in the middle of December, going out in northern Illinois and seeing garters just sitting yep. on those different areas right on the snow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's why, you know, I, I, a lot of people, they, they ask me about, you know, um, about their, their cooling cycles and, you know, they're, you know, I, they'll tell me they have them at 50 degrees and they're still moving around. Um, they look like they're losing weight. No, that's, that's not going to cut it. They, they, you got to cool them cold. Um, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go below 40 degrees is, is what I've, I've learned. Um, or even just around that 40, 42 um, degree mark, you know, I, I know a lot of people, um, they don't have fridges that will get that cold, which, you know, I, I have a wine fridge. It, it only gets down to about 46. Um, they seem to do okay there as well, but the majority of them go right in my garage. It gets down to about 38, 40 degrees. And I sit them there for about 90 days. They come out and within hours, they're courting. Yeah. It's very, very effective. So very interesting. So with your bioactive setups, uh, do you have a particular substrate? I mean, you said cy- cypress. Do you add anything to the cypress or is it just cypress? So I clean up crews, like what's going on on that front? <laughs> so for my um for the majority of my of my tanks, I, I use cypress. For my um for my bioactive, I just use soil. It's just, okay. just black soil, um, you know, um, just springtails in there. Garters don't really seem to mind them. Um, they they do, you know, as I said earlier, they, they do poop a lot because they eat a lot. They have crazy metabolisms, um, and they're eating fish too, you know what I mean? So they are going a lot. Um, it, it, pretty easy to clean though, um, you know, mm-hmm. especially in the, in the bioactives, um, especially with the, with the cleanup crews. Um the only thing um, that you really have to worry about, as far as as far as that goes, is when you're keeping a bunch of them together, especially newborns, is you got to keep them clean. I mean, every single yep. every single day, I'm 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 changing their bedding because they're constantly eating and they're constantly crapping, you know. Yes. <laughs> so kind of like a baby. So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, hey Rob. Yeah. Off of like talking about setting up natural vivaria, do you let those cages established yes. for a certain amount of time yes. before introducing. Okay. Could you go into a little bit about that? Because I think sometimes when we talk about bioactive, people think, Oh, I can just throw in a couple of springtails and I'm good. No, kind of no, especially when you have really active snakes that like to just destroy everything. Um, so what, what I personally will do is I'll wait at least eight weeks and really should wait longer. Um, eight weeks is almost kind of rushing it. Um, I'll, I'll plant, um, I, I keep a planted section, um, and then I keep a hide section with all my cork bark and my other things and, and, and my water feature, whatever that's going to be for that tank. Um, 
um, get, get plants that are, that are well-established. Um, you know, you got to water them a lot, but just don't rush. Just take your time with it. Just let them grow out. Uh, it, <laughs> the last one that I did in my hundred gallon enclosure, it looked so, it was like a rainforest. It looked amazing. But then I put the snakes in there and they pretty much, you know, they, they, they destroyed it. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's ruined now, but they still love it. Um, <laughs> um, they, they tend to hang out more in the, um, in the planted area, which is weird to me. Um, probably because that's where, where the UV is, but yeah, no, mm-hmm. just, that's actually, that's a great point. You know, don't rush. Um, if you're, if you're going to do that, take your time with it, put your springtails in or your isopods or, or whatever cleanup crew you want to use and let everything establish, um, on their own. You know, it's, I've, I've been guilty of that many, many times and they just uproot everything because the, the fruits haven't established into the soil yet. So yeah, take your time. Awesome. 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 My, the, the Oregon red spotted Viv, I accepted that these things were going to destroy the plants. <laughs> <laughs> that was, you know, I went into it with the complete understanding that I needed replaceable plants. So I have, uh, my wife wants to kill me, but there's just pothos growing everywhere <laughs> in our house. So I just basically grab a new sprig of pothos, put it in there, and the poor thing's going to be dead in a month from the perpetual, you know, slithering over top. And then a new one goes in. Um, but this last one actually has established, and I'm just kind of shocked they haven't killed it yet. So, yeah, very cool. So were there plants in particular that, that you think might be... Yeah. Um, snake proof. I mean, granted, you're used. This is the, the Lake Chapalas, right? Yeah. Like these are not small garter snakes. These no. Are the beasts of the garter snake world. Yeah. So. All, all the equis are. But yeah, no, yeah. they, um, I, I use plants that are lower and wider as opposed mm-hmm. to plants that are going to grow up because garter snakes are not a, a, you know, they're not in a braille. They're, they're not a, they're not a, a, a climbing species, but they love to climb at the same time. Just like, you know, they're not really a fully aquatic species, but they love to swim all the time. Um, yeah. So any, any kind of plant, any kind of fern, anything that's lower to the ground um, that, that, that's going to spread out and grow, you know, wide. Um, I, there was one that I wanted to start using. Uh, what is it? Fig. Um, oh God, I can't remember the name of it. Creeping fig. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a friend who, who she completely, um, saturated her enclosure with it and it looks amazing and they don't seem to really be, uh, destroying them at all. Yeah. But, but if you put any kind of fancy high growing plants in there, they're going to, they're going to crush them. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's cool stuff. Yeah. All righty. So we've, hey, we've re- co- oh, go ahead, Matt. Oh, real quick. Um, talking about water features, um, do you do any sort of active water filtration for the animals? No, I, I, well? I just change okay. them out. Um, I change the water out probably every two or three days. Um, okay. That's that's something that I am looking into to doing in the future. Um, that's the, the, Like I said, I, I kept dart frogs in the past, and I did that in every single one of their enclosures, and that's a lot of work uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and a lot of time, more, more than work. So. But yeah, that's something that I'll probably do in in that one big uh, 100-gallon setup that I have. Very cool. So let's kind of segue over to breeding. Uh, When it it comes to breeding them, is the standard recipe of, you know, feed, 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 fall, cool them down, warm them up, breed? 
or is there more to it than that? I mean, you've already alluded to these guys need to get colder than most snakes during brumation. So they um, they kind of um, they kind of stop feeding on their own around this time of year, like a lot of colubrids do. Um, really, the only thing that they, that, that they want to eat is worms, which I won't give them. So you know, once they they go off feed naturally, um, I usually wait about two weeks, and then I'll 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 put them down. I always wait a little longer than most people because of, of their cold requirements. You know, um, some people will, will cool them now, um, you know, for, for space reasons and stuff, which, which I completely understand. Um, but I'm, I'm usually from about December to about the beginning of March is when I bring them out. Um, and again, cold, 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 cold. Um, you know, don't let them freeze, obviously. But, you know, garter snakes, one of the things that they'll, that they'll do um, – when they're cooling is they'll completely submerge themselves in water for, for weeks at a time. Um, I mean, they won't come up at all. You know, their, their oxygen requirements get very low when they're, when they're that cold. Um, they, they've been found in, in lakes under ice for weeks mm-hmm. at a time completely, you know, they're alive and it, it's crazy. So um, I always give them a big water bowl and wherever I put them away and, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I, I have to check on them. Every time I check on them, they're either, Hiding, or they're all completely submerged. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. I would have never thought to give them the bowl to submerge it. Yeah. Yeah. They they they'll actually dry out. So yeah, definitely hmm. give them that. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, they're they're pretty easy. You know, as soon as you take them out, um, like I said, they're they're going to start courting almost immediately. Um, I, another thing that they'll do some some subspecies is they will actually. Um, they'll actually court now at this time of year mm-hmm. and they'll retain sperm. And as soon as they come out, you know, a, a, a couple weeks later, they're, they're, they're dropping litters. So I've, <laughs> yeah, I've seen that as well. Yeah. Multiple times actually. Mm-hmm. So, and another thing that garter snakes like to do is they like to double clutch, sometimes triple clutch, um, especially the equis subspecies, the, the Mexican I actually don't cool them, by the way. I should mention that. Um, you know, it's their winters are about 70 degrees. So it wouldn't really make sense to, to cool them yeah. the same way that I would the, you know, Femmufus or Talus. They're, you know, up in northern uh, Canada. Um, another thing with that is, as you know, a, a lot of people will ask me, at what age should you introduce your males and females? Um, mm-hmm. The Themnufus equis, they ovulate more than any snake I've ever seen. And what will happen is if you don't have a male in with them is they will slug out. And I, you know, it's, it's, and I, I've seen it happen at two years old. Um, oh yeah. I've seen it happen at two years old where they'll, they'll start passing slugs. And I, I was keeping a group of females together and I'm like, Oh crap. So I, I, I started keeping the males and females together. Um, it, it's not always, but I've, I've seen it actually on numerous occasions now where they will literally slug out at, at two years old. So if you have groups of them, I would introduce them at around that age. At two? Yeah. Okay. But they're going to grow. You'll, you'll see. They're going to grow very, very quickly for you, um, you know, <laughs> especially the, the Scott eye. You know, they're going to get 45-plus inches, you know, um, and they're, they're known for swimming – you know, vast distances, miles across lakes, 
probably the reason they got so big. But um, <laughs> yeah, so um, definitely, definitely do that if, if you're going to breed them. So with the obs- Obscurus or the Chapalas, or sorry, the Equus guys, mm-hmm. do you just do they kind of do a cycle with the cycle of your house where just your ambient temperature drops by default in the wintertime? Are you doing any kind of cycling with them, or is it just keeping them year round? I'm keeping them at room temps. They can drop at any time. I'm keeping them at, at, at room temps. Um, my house does get a little cooler in the in the winter, um, and their their feed will slow down a little bit. Um, but they they're normally giving me a clutch in early spring, and then around this time of year, late in the year, um, it's very very common. This year they all they all gave birth around the end of July, which was which was new. Um, they, you know, I, I had a bunch of young females this year that did that, but generally they're double clutching for me at room temps, um, spring and early winter, late fall. So interesting. Yeah. Hey Rob, um, real quick in terms of breeding success and, and communal keeping, do you keep multiple males with your groups of females? Um, to stir up any sort of male combat that's known in garter snakes too as well. Um, have you observed anything of that nature within some of the specimens that you've kept? So that's, a, that's actually, that's a, that's a great point. Um, you know, a lot of people when, when they want to breed, what they'll do is they'll buy, you know, one, one male and two females. And what I found with garter snakes is that, that the opposite works better. Um, you know, you put two or three fe- uh, males in with one female and they will all just get on her. Um, it, and it's, it's really, it's a, it's, it's, it's a competition thing. Like, like you said, they're a very competitive species. And they, you know, they will all be on her. Um, and I've noticed that my success rates doing it that way have been much, much higher as opposed to having one male and multiple females. So, but, but if you keep multiple females and males together, you'll just get a big breeding ball. That's it's, it's an orgy. That's we'll call it what it is. It's an orgy, and it, it happens a lot. So, which is probably one of the coolest things with Minitoba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and <laughs> and garter snakes. Yeah, yeah, I've observed basically a smaller version of that several times. So, mm-hmm. pretty cool. All right. So then, as far as breeding's concerned, they're relatively straightforward. Would you say, or or not? Yes and no. Um, again, with, so with the northern species, um, you know, cooling them is very important. Um, making sure that making sure that they're at a good weight prior to cooling them, obviously, because you know they're not going to eat for for ninety days. Um, but when you look at the southern species, it's you know, I would say that the most important thing is, and th- and it's really just this simple, aside from you know their husbandry and everything else, is keep them together. Because, like I said, the females ovulate more than any species of snake that I've ever seen, and they will slug out. Um, for, once, once I started keeping males with females year-round, the problem just went away. Uh, you know, I, I, I haven't seen it in probably five or six years now. Um, it's, it's, it's really been a high level of success for me. Excellent. Yeah. So really, there has to be some sort of evolutionary attribute that has taken absolutely by to really breed throughout the year potentially for the retention of sperm so that when ideal conditions are met they're ovulating and over yeah well Uh-oh. garter snake mating systems that's that's its own dedicated podcast <laughs> episode man 
the Manitoba snake. Oh yeah. Then, I mean, I teach that stuff in herpetology and there's, there's males that come out that imitate females and mm -hmm. can create pseudo pheromones. And then they like lure other males away and then they dart back and date and, and mate with the females. You know, it's, it's just nutty what the hell these snakes do. That's part of the reason why I, I find them to be like, absolutely fascinating snakes, but I digress. <laughs> so, uh, so we've kind of covered husbandry a fair bit. Let's just dive into species. That's cool. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I know you have, you, you keep a couple. Yeah. So <laughs> you mind just kind of listing which species you work with and then we'll, we'll pick, um, a handful, okay. maybe the more, the, the more, the species that are kind of unique or more different from each other. Uh, and then just kind of dive into what makes them cool. What, what, why you have them um, morphs, you know, all that kind of good stuff. All right. So the first species that I'll talk about is the Thamnophis sertalis infernalis or the California red-sided garter snake. So mm -hmm. The reason I, that I talk about them first is because they're the most popular, um, especially in terms of people who've never worked with garter snakes. You know, I mean, they're, mm -hmm. they're neon blue and they're fire engine red. They're, I mean, they're, they're amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Really the only snake that's better looking than that is the San Fran, but obviously the, you know, they're federally protected. You can't touch them in the United States. So what a lot of people will do is, you know, is they'll, they'll have their first pet be the um, California red-sided garter snake. Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> they are, they're not, they're not a great pet. I'm, I'm just going to put it to you like that. They <laughs> are out for blood constantly. They love to bite you. They, I mean, if, if, if I tap on the cage, you know, they're, they're striking at it. If, if I lift their enclosure, they're going just, they're going crazy. Um, and they are the poop snipers. Okay. Snipers. They will fling poop on you. I've had it on my face. Just don't do it. Okay. Um, I, I, I however, they are probably one of the most beautiful colubrids in North America. Mm -hmm. they're, they're amazing. Um, so, you know, they're more of a, um, they're more of a display animal yeah. is what I would say. Um, I do work with two localities of them. I work with the original Scott Felser line of the neon blue, as he called them. And I work with Napa Valleys, um, which th really the, the biggest difference is that the Napa Valleys have blue heads as opposed to the traditional fire engine, uh, red. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, they're just, they're all crazy. So even, and I'm, and I mean, I'm working with probably, you know, F15, F20 at this point, And they're still, they're still just that crazy, no matter how much you handle them. Um, <laughs> and then uh, let's see what's next. Um, I work with some Eastern black necks. Um, they're, you know, if you don't know what they look like, Google it. They're, they're an absolutely beautiful species. They have a neon orange stripe going down their back with a phenomenal pattern. Um, I actually had mine impure, uh, not impure, imported from, by Frank Tews, Frank Tews um, in Germany. His line was mm -hmm. just, you know, absolutely just stellar, um, especially in, in, in terms of that just, you know, that neon glowing orange stripe. Um, I also work with a lot of snakes um, from Europe that I got from Stephen Boll. Um, he is a, um, he's a biologist from Holland. He's, he kind of brought a lot of, um, especially the Mexican species, he, he brought into the hobby um, decades ago. Um, he's imported a lot of the stuff into the U.S., um, which I'll, I'll talk about all that in a minute. But um, I also work with um, Plains Garter Snakes. 
In terms of the garter snake hobby, they are the morph guys. There's just a ton okay. of morphs with them. Um, <laughs> you've got um, three strains of albino. You've got the reds. You've got the blue exanthics. You've got the black and white exanthics. Some scaleless were just born. Um, there's um, a form of leucistic. Um, it's called pearl. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's almost like a paradox, if you will. It's I mean they're white with like it's almost like a re- reverse pie bolt, if you will. They're 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 really awesome. Um, what else is there? There's um, oh, and then there's there's Aztecs, which you know they're they basically have no pattern at all. They're just completely striped. Right. Yeah. I, That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're awesome. So if you, if you're into morphs, you know, you don't need to be, if you're, if you're into garter snakes, because there's so many different types of colors, but if you're into morphs, that's, that's really what you want to get into is the plains garter snake. Um, what else do I have? I have, um, the blue striped garter snakes, which are, they have a very, very small range in the United States, but they're extremely abundant in that range. They, they're, they only exist in Dixie and Levy County. In Florida, yes, they're basically they they glow blue. Um, they're absolutely beautiful. They're one of the species that I've seen um, the mating balls with several times. They you know, again, very very prolific breeders um, and really really just stunning to to look at. Um, and then let's see what else. Um, I, I I used to work with the eastern garter snake, which has the the biggest range. Um, in North America, the Themnophis, Sertalis, Sertalis. There's a lot of morphs in there too. Really, really stunning. Um, the flame, um, the eerie, the albinos. Um, there's a morph out there called Diffused. Um, there's a lot of argument back and forth about whether or not it's anery or not. They basically are born looking completely normal and they turn black and blue as they age. Um, it's, it's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty interesting gene. Um, you know, people are still learning a lot with it. And then that brings me to my, my Mexican species. You know, um, I, I, I talked earlier about Stephen Bowl. Um, he's, he's a great guy. He's, he's one of the most meticulous record-keeping guys um, that, you'll, that you'll ever meet. You know, he just – every litter that he's ever hatched, he, he knows who has them or where they went. Um, he's, he's a great guy. Um, a couple decades ago, um, he started importing some Mexican species into the United States from Europe. Um, the Thamnophis equis was one of them, which I really found to just be, you know, amazing because of their size. You know, they, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're huge. I, I have a garter snake right now that's as thick as a soda can. She's about 45 inches long. She eats, she crushes, um, large mice like it's nothing, you know. Um, I also have the Lake Chapalas, which, you know, you're already aware of. They have neon blue bellies as adults. They're absolutely beautiful snakes. Um, there, there, there is an albino morph in there, um, which is very rare in the U.S. Um, I think there's only one or two people working with that. Um, and then I have the Lake Ecuzio. Um Yes. So recently um, I produced a litter of them. There, there's been several of them that have come into the United States over the years. And... I've just, you know, using this breeding method, I was the first to produce them in the U.S. Um, they're, they're, how can I describe them? They look like indigo snakes. Yes. Um, they're the indigos of garter snakes. They are almost um, a melanistic form of the equis with blue bellies, um, 
They are also <coughs> prima donnas, though. Yeah, uh, they are. They are, you know, very, very robust species, but they're all they're not very friendly. Um, most of my other uh, <laughs> most of my other equis are dog tame as adults. My my Scotty, you know, I don't know if you know this, by the way, but uh, Scotty's hold the the record in, in terms of length, with the exception of the Thamnophis gigas. Yes. Or giant garter snake, which is also federally protected, which we can't own. But um, yeah, they get very, very big, and they're you know, they as, as adults they have a robin egg blue belly. Um, they have a lot of really vivid greens. Um, very, very aquatic. If if you give them water, they will use it. They absolutely love it. And then, probably my favorite garter snake is the Lake Patsku garter snake. Um, they're dog tame, um, and they're just massive. Like I said, that, that's the one that I was referring to. That's about as thick as a soda can. Um, I mean, the, the head on this thing. When when people see it, they're just like, "That's not a garter snake." And I mean, they're 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 kind of blown away. Um, I think my female is about forty six inches right now. Um, male is significantly smaller than her, um, but he's you know he gets the job done. He's always courting her. He thinks he likes big girls. You know, there's nothing wrong with there that. You go. So. Um, but yeah, yeah, they're. Um, they're pretty awesome. Um, what's and then there's there's one more that I wanted to mention. Um, it's the Thamnophis scolaris, it's the mm-hmm. um, long-tailed alpine garter snake. They are the exact opposite of every other Mexican species. They are they max out at around 18 inches for females. They're very small. However, they are insanely variable. Um, I have um, fire engine red. I mean, they, they, they blow the, the eastern flames out of the water. Um, they're, you know, I have one that's, that's yellow and maroon. I have one that's almost completely gray and black. And then I have your, 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 your typical brown. Um, nobody's produced them in the United States yet. I'm really, really hoping that I'm the first <laughs> to do that. Um, <laughs> they're really, really another very, very active species. Um, you know, in, in, in terms of species numbers and, and subspecies, you know, there's, there's, I believe it's 35 species of garter snakes with an additional 60 subspecies. So, you know, it gets, it gets pretty complicated pretty quick. Uh, <laughs> they can be, yep. they can be easy to confuse with each other if you don't know what you're looking at. Um, but, you know, you have everything, you know, you can have your small snakes, you can have your bigger snakes. If you like your, uh, if you like your snakes blue, we have blue. If you like your snakes mm-hmm. red, we have red. If you want to morph, we have morphs. You know, we have a little bit of everything when it when it comes to garter snakes. So I, I think they're really an underrated species because I think that for a long time there was a stigma, you know, whereas, oh, yeah. I can catch garter snakes in my backyard. Well, you can catch that type of garter snake in your backyard, but you can't catch the one that only exists in a small area 3,000 miles away in your backyard. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. So, but obviously people, you know, the, the average person doesn't realize that there's dozens of species of garter snake, you know. And, and, and even with ribbon snakes, you know, it's the same thing. Um, I've, I've worked with ribbon snakes. That, that's another form of, of Thamnophis. Um, very, very high-strung species. Um, stressed really, really easily. Um, it's one of those species that's, that's another better, a better display animal. Um, but, you know, they're, and they get very long. I, I know people think ribbon snakes are small. They get, they get way bigger than people think. Oh, no. They can get way big. Yeah. I did a um, a trip. Since we're talking about garter snakes, this is relevant. So there's kind of the the garter snake manual 
um, which was by Siegel, Ford, and Rosman. I think it's called The Garter Snakes, mm-hmm. published in like the late 90s. And Neil Ford, who was at a professor at UT Tyler, who did a lot of work on garter snake reproduction for science, um, he called me out of the blue one day, actually emailed me to come down and talk to, to the college about crayfish because he wanted to start studying crayfish. And I got this email from him, and and I'm used to that, but I was like, wait a minute, isn't that the garter snake guy? Because I, you know, had my start in herpetology, and that's awesome. I wrote wrote him back. I was like, are you the garter snake guy? <laughs> he was like, <laughs> oh yeah, that was another life. I was like, no, 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 holy crap, the garter snake guy is asking me to come. So of course I went down, and we went out into the field. And we have eastern ribbons here in West Virginia, and they're they're actually one of our rarest species. And I've only seen like two or three. And then I did grad school in Florida, where there's the um, I think it's the South it, Stamnophosauritis sacani, I think is the Latin name. And those were like what I envisioned ribbon snakes to be. And when I was with Ford, we were in these wetlands outside of Dallas, Texas, and we're walking around. And he's like, "Oh, there's a ribbon," and I was like, "That thing's not a ribbon. It's like three and a half feet long." And big around as a pill bottle mm-hmm. and it it was a ribbon so they they do get like i was shocked at how freaking big and how beautiful they were they were this like sky blue mm-hmm. just all we actually they were so damn fast we didn't get our hands on any of them um because we were trying to catch them in the middle of the day and they totally had the advantage uh but i actually wanted to talk a little bit about ribbon snakes because i remember growing up late 80s early 90s and you'd go to the pet store and like the kind of obligatory pets pet store snake were ribbon snakes that were imported up here out of Florida. And you know, I've I've watched the kind of garter snake thing blow up over the past decade. And I'm not saying people don't keep ribbons, but it seems like you know if if there's a garter snake community, there's an even smaller community in the garter snake community that's yes. doing the ribbon snake. Yes. Is is the reason that neurotic nature of them or is there some kind of care aspect because i don't really feel like i ever see i rarely see captive born ribbons available now you go to a show and the importer tables are still loaded to the gills with you know wild caught right what's the story on the ribbons because i know there's people that would be kind of curious about that so ribbon snakes are a lot like garter snakes in terms of their, their colors um you know there's a lot of really cool ones Especially down in Florida, like you said, there's there's the blue stripe ribbon snake. They're yes. like black with almost like a, a a clean neon blue stripe. They're beautiful. You've got the locality um, you're like you were talking about of of the western ribbon snake um, in Texas, which is a beautiful sky blue with a red stripe. And then you have the red stripe um, uh, ribbon snake, which is also in Texas. They're they're green with a nice clean red stripe. They're beautiful, but they're what they're, they're just one of those species that just never calms down. They're extremely flighty. Uh, from the time that you pick them up, mm-hmm. ribbon snakes do something too that um, garter snakes don't do, which is really fascinating to me. Is they put on a, a display when you pick them up, they will open their mouth and kind of go back and forth, which I always found That's to cool. be awesome. Um, when they do that, they're going to bite you, so put them down. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I learned that the hard way, but um, yeah, they're you know they're they're just so high strung. Um, it's, it's a species that if you, if you do choose to work with them, um, I, I would recommend giving them a big spacious enclosure and just not touching them, you know, with, with the exception of, you know, obviously having to, you know, check on them, make sure that, you know, everything's okay. 
but it, it's one of those species that just they get they're very very high strong almost 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 like the the infernalis or the the california red-sided gorgeous and they're very very similar um but if you're willing to put up with that um they are beautiful they're they're huge and um they're they're great eaters as well for the most part um you know they i guess if you if you're willing to put up with that then yeah go for it they're you know yeah no, i just caught western ribbons when yeah. i was in kansas and um you know looking at a picture in a book and then holding the animal in your hand i was i was pretty damn shocked at how awesome those western ribbon snakes were that orange stripe mm-hmm. that they have going down the back and we can we found a couple that had the orange stripe and were just solid jet black with like a yellow venter and it, they were just they were awesome um the, the garters were what kept me going by the way when we found <laughs> A dead hognose snake, or didn't find a hognose snake. Um, so anyway, uh, so is there any? You know, we we've kind of given the impression that there's that the care of these guys is pretty much the same across the board, and with the exception of um, scaliger and the the more tropical species needing to be warmer. Yeah. Uh, for those North American taxa or or anything, is there any kind of like just species specific quirk other than the fact that her infernalis wants to kill you <laughs> no no i mean they're they're pretty they're pretty similar across the board um and in, in terms of, of husbandry and the way that you keep them um i've, I've never really found um that any one species is too much different than any other with the exception of you know once you start getting south of the border and stuff like that um yeah no they're they're, they're pretty much all the same um yeah, no, that's all right. So, <laughs> if if someone were to get into garters, and and they they, they want to you know jump into this group, how do they get started? Do do you start with a baby? Do you recommend starting with a well established juvenile? Um, obviously, contact a breeder, work with a breeder. Do not get an imported snake or go to your backyard. Um, we're not about that here. Plus, there are laws, and you don't want to be breaking those laws. By any, I mean, even West Virginia, great example. Our new herp regs say that you can't bring a snake from the wild into your house. So, little Jimmy catches a garter snake and brings it in. One year ago, that was totally legal. Today, it's not. So, um, plus, you don't want that parasite ridden example. So, do you have a kind of, I hate to say garter starter pack, but at the same time, Mm. you got to get into this thing. How do you, what do you recommend? someone who might be a king snake keeper, how do they get into garter snake? So if you've never kept um, really small colubrids, um, I'd probably recommend that you start with like a, a, a sub-adult or an adult. Um, I mean, the babies are, are simple enough to keep. And, you know, in terms of, of husbandry, it's no different from an adult to a neonate. Really the only difference is that you're going to be feeding them a lot more. Um, and so, you know, if you like interacting with your animal and you don't mind feeding, you know, two, three times a week, then that's fine. Um, but in terms of, you know, difficulty, um, I, I would, you know, obviously I, I would say that it's, that it's easier to, to keep an adult, but I think the most important thing, and, you know, you, you, you touched on this is, you know, stay away from anything wild caught for so many reasons. You know, you don't want to keep, you don't want to bring 
snake fungal disease into your house or crypto or, or any of these other collection killers. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it's just not, it's just not worth it. So if you see a snake that's 40 bucks versus a snake that's, you know, 150 bucks, um, and one of them looks like it's covered in, you know, blisters, <laughs> you know, don't, don't take the cheaper route. No. <laughs> don't, don't do it. Um, you know, there, there's, I, I see a lot of things for sale now and, it, you know, it, I don't understand how these people are even getting away with it, to be honest with you, because you're right. There are so many laws out there, um, you know, but I absolutely go captive bread. Don't, don't even waste your money because the snake's going to be dead in six months anyway. You know what I mean? The, the, the parasitic load is just, it, you know, it's just going to take off and then your, and your snake's going to be dead. So th- there's, there's no point. Um, definitely, definitely contact a solid breeder. Um, the, the biggest wealth and knowledge or the biggest group that, that I would say is the Thamnophis page on Facebook. There's a plethora of breeders from all over the world, um, from Europe, from North America, from Canada, from the United States, from, from everywhere that are, are really have really solid backgrounds that are breeding, you know, several generation deep um, garter snakes. So, you know, absolutely go that route. Um, anybody, you know, if they want to send me a message, you know, I'm, I'm garter guy on Instagram, please. I literally talk to random people all day. You know, <laughs> I like, I mean, just today alone, I had multiple people ask me about husbandry and feeding. You know, I, I don't mind chatting with random people, um, you know, but do research, you know, make sure that you're willing to um, feed fish and, you know, um, chopped fish to be more specific and chopped pinks because a newborn garter snake is not eating a full pink. It's not. So yeah. recognize that you're going to have to cut up that pink into smaller pieces. Um, it can be a little gross. Um, that's why a lot of people prefer to do fish. Um, and, you know, as long as you're, as long as you're okay with all those things, they're an absolutely phenomenal and rewarding species to work with. You know, I mean, there's, what other species can you take five or six of them, put them in a big cohab environment, you know what I mean? And just have yeah. five or six awesome different paint jobs in there. You know, it, it, you can't really do that with a lot, with a lot of other species. So I, I, I think in, in terms of that, they're really great. But my, my biggest advice would be, you know, don't rush into it. Don't, don't buy anything wild call. Ask the breeder, you know, so. And Rob, even going off of that, do you have any recommended books or uh, websites that people listening to this should maybe check out to outside of the well, Facebook page? Zach brought up a phenomenal book earlier. Uh, problem mm-hmm. with that book is it's very rare now and hard to get. I've been looking for it myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's why that's why I, I mentioned that, that Sam Nofis um, page um, every day. There's people asking for advice. And, you know, not to bash any other of these snake communities but you know we're not like the ball python community if you come in there and you ask us questions we're going to be friendly we're going to help you out you know especially with the the uptick in garter snakes recently um there's so many people now that are that are asking about them and that's perfectly fine you know we're we're here to help so don't be afraid join us you know (laughs) we're community all righty so, 
I think we pretty. Is there anything else you want to cover before we jump over to Lampropeltis? Because we have some time to do that. I think we covered everything you would want to to kind of get get the ball rolling. But um, and congrats on that. You know, first time breeding in North America. Thank you. Yeah, that was actually the second one that I had. Um, I I produced the uh, Lake Pasco last year. I was also the first to do that. So yeah, the 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 Equus Group. Just to kind of go before we leave the Thamnophis, they're they're just a fascinating group of snakes yeah. uh, from a truly nerdy natural history perspective. Taking the you know herpetoculture out of it, the fact that we have them available is phenomenal. But but you know if you kind of like the whole Sky Island rattlesnake deal with the Lepidus and the claw or um, sorry the Mitchell Eye and Price Eye, the midget the the various dwarf rattlesnakes that live in Arizona and New Mexico. This is like the exact same thing. It's just with a nature scene and they're all isolated to these volcanic yes. lakes in Southwestern uh, Mexico. And there's an amazing paper if you want to get into it and, and you message me and I can get it to you. But if you do a search, you can usually find, I found it without too much effort, but you know, one of the gods of North American herpetology and he was a garter snake nut, Roger Conant, um, he wrote a monograph late, late, late in his life uh, and published it. And it's just on this group of snakes. And what was what's awesome about this paper is that he did a collecting trip in the 60s. And then at the end of his life in the early 90s, he actually wrote it up. So you get to like read. He's talking about his field notes and there's pictures in this paper from 30 years before the paper was published and he talks about like conservation issues and all that. But at the time, subspecies were really, you know, that was kind of the norm for snakes. I would not be the slightest bit surprised if somebody actually got in there and we were able to do the work in Mexico that if you were to do some molecular phylogenetics, that these are all independent taxa because there's, there's no gene flow yeah. between these lakes. They're completely isolated. Um, but, you know, just to add a little bit of nerddom to this, thing that that's what you know i think's great and I, I have the obscurus and i have the scott eye and i have a pair of each from you and then i've picked up some additional obscurus from some other people and it, just looking at the scott eye and the obscurus i have a really hard time accepting that those are the same species i mean they are very different yeah different uh they're different in behavior they're different mm -hmm. in their morphology and they're different in their in their paint job so no that's one of the things that i love about these things is that um they're kind of, you know, they're great. When we went to um, Arizona in 2019, when we could do things like that, we were hiking around the Cherokee Mountains. And, you know, most people were happy when they find a Crotalus lepidus, a banded rock rattlesnake. And we came down into a creek, students and I, and there were um, black necked garter snakes all dove oh. into the pool. And I was like a 10 year old. Like, just, <laughs> I went in the pool too. <laughs> and I, I came out with three or four of them. Oh, wow. You know, we found a blacktail rattlesnake right before that, and I was way more engaged in nerding out over the blackneck garter snakes than the the molluscs that we found. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely on on team garter when it comes to that kind of stuff. All right, so Rob keeps other things too, um, not just Thamnophis. So we were chatting, and let's just kind of go over the Lampropeltis that you keep, and then I want to do a, a dedicated deep dive on your um speckle king snakes because uh yeah at least i can can live vicariously through 
our discussion because ironically, once again, back to the Kansas trip, 35 species on the way to Kansas, I said, there are two species I really want to find on this trip. I want to find a Western hognose snake and I want to find a speckled king snake and a speckled king snake and a Western hognose snake are literally the two things we didn't find. So <laughs> we can talk about Holbrook eye on the podcast and maybe that'll count somehow uh, for me, but I can get the Holbrook eye later. But anyway, so what lamps do you keep? So um, what, one of my favorite snakes um, period is the black milk snake. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're born looking similar to an Indian milk snake. Um, mm-hmm. They're born very big too. And they go through this dramatic color change for those who don't know, where they end up turning um, jet black as adults. And it, it, it's almost like you have two pet snakes in the same snake. You know, it's, it's kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've ever held an adult black milk snake, but they are about as fragile as a hammer. I mean, they are solid muscle, you know, mm-hmm. um, and they're, they're really, they're really an interesting species. Um, they're another one that, that likes it cool. Um, mm-hmm. And what's, what's really interesting to me about them is I, I don't know if you've ever seen one in person. Oh, we have them here. At the yeah. So, you know, so they have, yeah. they have very small heads, yes. which I think is so cool because they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're such a robust muscular snake. Um, but you know, they, they have these, these little heads on them and yep. they're, they're really, really interesting looking. Um, uh, I, I have a 2018 pair. Um, I'm hoping to breed maybe next year or the year after. Um, I, I know there are species that is really slow to mature. Um, and they're mm-hmm. the one that you don't want to rush. Um, so I'm, you know, I have high hopes for them. Um, the, what's really interesting too, is how they aren't all the same in terms of how they change. Um, I have the Limon locality, if I'm saying that right. Um, that's what we have. Okay. Yeah. So my, my, uh, female, she's holding on to a lot of her, I'm sorry, my male, he's holding on to a lot of his red. Um, it's, it's really, it's, it's kind of wild looking right now where he's jet black and then he has red scales coming through. Um, and, and they're so tame. I've never, ever had one try to bite me. I've never, ever had one poop. I've, I mean, it's just a complete, complete 360 when it comes to the Camdophis. <laughs> Very, mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're, they're just dog tame. They're absolutely phenomenal eaters. They're, they're really a rewarding species. Um, shockingly, they're not as common as you would think. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not sure why, you know, it's probably because they take so long to reach sexual maturity and people just aren't patient. That's, that's mm-hmm. what I would assume. Um, but yeah, they're, they're really, really a, a great species. Um, another one that I work with, which is pretty much the complete opposite in terms of everything is the pale milk snake. I work with the, uh, with the Cherry County locality. They okay. are very, very small and they are crazy. Yeah. Um, I think my my adult female is about 18 inches and my male is around 16 inches they're absolutely stunning I mean they're fire engine red with a, with a clean white uh, background really almost bone white and phenomenal eaters too um, if, you put, if you put any pinks near them they, they go berserk um, but a very very small species you know if, if you're not they're actually smaller than Thandophis um, you know, so if you're not really willing to, to, to deal with that, they might not be for you, but they're an absolutely phenomenal species. Um, and there's, they're, they're one of those species that's, um, kind of locality driven. 
There's, you know, okay. there's, there, there's multiple localities of them. And recently, um, I believe Cole Glover, he just produced the first um, hypo E, that'd be the correct term, produced red. I don't know if, that, if yeah. that's the correct yeah. term. Yeah, so... Yeah. yeah, I know Cole. He's got a great collection yeah, too. Yeah, that, yeah. Mine actually came from him. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. Oh, he's yeah. Good guy. Yeah. I also do work with the um, with the with the Depi Depi or Depi Depi oh. um, from the uh, from the original Vivid line. Um, <laughs> awesome, awesome, super colorful pine snake. Um, great eaters. Insanely variable. I mean, no two are like, I, I don't know if you've ever seen them. Yeah. Um, they're, you know, I almost my, my big male right now, he's um, basically has a, a flame orange tail and he's, he's got a white top half. Absolutely incredible looking species. Um, for whatever reason, they're, they're more rare than other species in the U.S. I don't know why. Um, I, I guess there just hasn't been an influx of them you know, because of, of, of the laws and everything, but, um, yeah, they're, they're another great species. And then the speckled king snakes. Yes. So the speckled king snakes are, let's hit on them for a bit. Okay. The speckled (laughs) kings are, they're very, they're very locality driven. Um, whenever you get one, you know, they're going to say, Oh, they're from, you know, this, this parish in Louisiana, or they're from, you know, this, this county in Texas, because they all look slightly different. Um, I, I guess they're all in their own isolated little pockets in terms of, you know, of, of pattern and, and, and color. I work with the Harris County, which are just, they're amazing. Um, you know, uh, they're, they're born black and yellow with, um, with a really red-orange belly that kind of goes, okay. goes away as they age. Um, and they have a lot of pattern as well when they're born. Into adulthood, they will lose all of their pattern and their bellies will turn almost completely yellow. Just a clean, beautiful yellow with, with a lot of speckling. Um, they're another species that is an absolutely ferocious eater. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it doesn't matter whether it's quail or any kind of rodent. They, I mean, they crush anything that you put near them almost really from, from the time they're born. I, you know, I remember when I got them, they were, you know, six or seven inches long and they were absolutely crushing pinks that, that I was putting there in there. You know, they're, they're another really rewarding species. Um, yeah. Very easy to keep as well. So yeah, they're, they're relatively bulletproof, correct? Yes. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. Well, they're extremely hardy. I mean, they're from, you know, you're, you're finding them in, in, in arid deserts in, in Texas, you know, and they're thriving out there. So yeah. Yeah, I've, I've recently gotten into the Getchilla group. Mm-hmm. I've decided that that's going to be my my snake to keep at my house for the simple fact that when I get home, I'm so damn tired <laughs> that I just want something that's going to work. Yeah. And uh, I over the past months, I've, I've acquired um, – I have a bunch of locality Florida Kings now, and I have one pair of Easterns that I was able to kind of grandfather in with the regs in West Virginia – Black king snakes are actually my favorite of the group, but we're, but they're in West Virginia, so I can't keep them now. Um, I just picked up OBX kings, hmm. um, actually this week. Thank you, Dan. Uh, but the one that I've decided that I'm just going to be choosy on are the Holbrook Eye, the the specs. Um, and I've definitely I've seen pictures of yours, 
and they are a little bit of an inspiration to get Harris County, Texas. Yeah, yeah they're great. You know, animals. They're they're pretty phenomenal. Are, are those? Do you have adults? Or are you still raising them? Or they are they're adults this year. Um, they're, okay. they're they're just finally big enough to breed. So I'm I'm hoping this this spring that they I can pop some out. So mm. we'll, we'll keep me in mind if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> because it seems like with the speckled kings, you know, you, you can I, I see them at the local shows here more frequently than I thought I would. Uh, but they're almost certainly wild caught. Yeah, a lot of more. And, and and not all speckled kings are created equal. Correct. Um, so I think that that line breeding for that the color phase that you were talking about is something that we can all do. And that Harris County animals have been around for a while. Yes, they have. Correct? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's that's pretty cool. You can't beat a large, stocky, bulletproof colubrid, like you know, it, it just doesn't get. That's why I, that's why I love black milk snakes. Yep. they you know, mm-hmm. they're they're as bulletproof as it gets. Yeah, the the Lamone locality, uh, we got the, we those were some of the very first snakes that I acquired for our collection here because of what you mentioned. Um, I knew that we weren't going to have to do any kind of real supplemental heat for them. And that if we yes. ever had, God forbid, uh, electricity blow in the wintertime with a snowstorm, that I would kind of have a little bit of a, a cushion to get them to where they needed to be. Um, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, the Lamone, are they, they're not known for being e- e- enormous. There's other localities correct. that are the big guys. Cause ours are adults now. And I got them when they were hatchlings here back in 16. Um, and they're they're sitting at about four and a half feet, but I've I've seen image like pictures of black milks online that are like six and a half foot beasts. Yeah. Um, well, black milks. Do you know anything snakes, about where they come from? <laughs> um, I believe they came from the San Antonio Zoo stock. Yes, mm-hmm. if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Um, I think that's correct. The thing about black milks too is they'll they'll keep growing up to four or five years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they're, they're a very slow growing species. Um, their, their color change happens relatively quick in comparison to how quick they grow. Um, within, within two, two and a half years, a lot of times they'll be jet black depending on the, on the, on the, you know, on the, the line or the locality, but they'll keep growing for a while. Um, a lot, you know, so a lot of people will, they'll be disappointed. They'll say, oh man, he's only three and a, he's only three and a half feet. He's not been growing, you know, yeah, he's three years old. He's got another solid two years of growing. So. No, uh, when I, I took my students to Costa Rica, literally in March of 2020, as the world was, co- was closing down, oh. uh, we flew out of Costa Rica 48 hours before they shut the border down. Um, it's too bad we couldn't come up with something to keep us there for 49 hours, <laughs> so we wouldn't stuck there for the pandemic. <laughs> but anyway, we had a kid that, that got hurt, and we had to get him to an emergency room, and uh, we went to Lamon. And the entire time that I was going there, in the back of my head, like this was my first time in Costa Rica. I kept thinking like, I know this place. Why do I know this place? And then I was sitting in the, the hospital waiting room. And I was like, this is where our milk snakes came from. Uh, because that's the locality for, you know, and it was kind of cool because it was on the uh, Gulf side and, you know, we, we came out of the, the coastal forest where it was pretty damn hot. And where we were, it was actually cooler than the rest of the, you know, the areas we were oh. in. Um, Another fun fact about uh, black milks is when we had our crypto outbreak, which I'm very public about, uh, our black milk snakes popped positive for crypto, but they were asymptomatic. So they never really showed the bulge. 
And then we had one start to regurgitate, and we started treating all of our animals with parabamycin, which is an antibiotic. Uh, the Bronx Zoo did that with the King Cobra, so we did it. And um, we had two snakes that we were able to show with PCR um, by taking their poop and basically looking for crypto DNA in it. That cleared the crypto, wow. and one of the two species that we were able to clear with the paramomycin was were the black milk snakes. They actually responded very favorably to that that treatment. I am not a vet; don't do that. You know, I'm just simply saying that um, that was kind of a neat observation in talking about how they're bulletproof. They got one of the like most insidious snake diseases, and we were able to actually kick it wow. uh, with them. We were also giving them paramomycin every 72 hours for six months. So, like, unless you can do that, don't think that this is a magic you know, treatment. But, uh, no, no, they're they're badass animals. Um, their taxonomy is a little crazy. They were known as Lampropeltis triangulum gage. Yes. And then they just became Lampropeltis microfolis. I didn't even know that. Uh, yeah. yeah. And wow. microfolis absorbed taxonomically Andeans, um, the black milks. And there were a couple others that I don't know because I have Andeans at home as well, uh, and that was kind of a bitter pill to swallow. But <laughs> but genetic genetically, it is pretty sound. Um, and Hondurans are the other one. I think they're Lampropeltis abnorma or or something like that. Uh, but no, cool. So are are, are the lamps and, and and the depot are they like a nice nice distraction from the perpetual poo show the Thamnophis yeah. and the yeah. always cut things up <laughs> they're very easy you know <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely it's definitely a nice break um it, it's mm -hmm. nice to have bigger colubrids too you know mm -hmm. what I mean? things you can hold like that um but yeah no i'm you know i'm always gonna love my garter snakes <laughs> but yeah 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 it's it, it's definitely a nice change of pace um you know especially in terms of feeding it's, it's just much easier i don't have to cut any fish up I don't have to cut any pinks up. Just put them in there, and I'm done. Easy peasy. Okay. So, to kind of wrap up, wrap our awesome. This has been fantastic, Rob. Um, what What's the future hold? Are there tax that you're looking for? Are you happy where you're at? Uh, not that we necessarily promote like always getting something, but you, you I mean you totally possible to reach an equilibrium. But you might need to get some more exoteras. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, there's there's a few species of of equus that I would still like to get, um, and there's one species that for me has always been kind of like the um, the creme de la creme, um, and it just mm -hmm. recently became um, available in Europe. Um, I, I, he's had them for a while, but he's just recently been successful with litters. It's the uh, gold headed garter snake. Yes. Um, That's a cool one. They're you know they're they don't even look like a garter snake. To be honest yes. with you. Um, and with the exception of, you know, uh, in terms of size and body and head shape, but, you know, they have a, a yellow head and they're, they're almost, they have no stripe. They're, they're black with, with white stripes down their side. Just an absolutely phenomenal, really, really rare snake in the hobby. Um, I, you know, I, I would like to own them one day, but you know, right now I'm happy where I'm at. All right. Uh, Fantastic. So any final thoughts, Matt? Are we... No, I mean, the only thing um, that I would probably add to this is just purely, if you are interested in garter snakes, make sure that you actually do look up your local mm -hmm. laws too as well. 
um, because in some states they are restricted. And it is something that as we perceive as a hobby and, and grow as a hobby, we just need to make sure that we're paying attention to the legal system of keeping some of these animals. Um, so if you're interested in garters, I think it is something to pay attention to. Um, same thing, like when we talked about black rats, it's the same system too as well. Um, yeah. So. Great point. Yeah. All righty. Play by the rules. <laughs> play by the rules, people. If you play by the rules, we're not going to get new rules. <laughs> so, yeah. but that's kind of how that that whole thing works. Mm-hmm. I have I have one more question, just just to, out of pure curiosity, since you are an interesting guy. Um, so, like, I love my garter snakes. I also love my Nerodia. Is is there a reason why? Um, you don't have Nerodia in your collection? Is it because you don't like to bleed freely while being pooped on? So I kept <laughs> I kept Diamondback water snakes for a while, mm-hmm. and they were insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, they were actually more bipolar than insane. I would pick them up, and they would be great. And then out of nowhere, they would be out for blood. Yep. Um, I kind of got tired of that, you know, beautiful mm-hmm. snakes to look at. Um, but, yeah, no, they are crazy. And that's why I love them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, it takes. Spe- uh, I had somebody tell me once it takes a special person to like Nerodia. Um, and I just kind of looked at him. I was like, I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult, <laughs> but we're just going to roll with it. Uh, you know, that's part of the reason why I like the Equus guys so much because um, Conan actually talks about this in that paper. They they kind of are the water snake garter snake. Yes, like they, they get as big as Nerodia. Um, they, they act like Nerodia, like my Obscurus, uh, they're the Lake Chapalas are always in water, like you were saying. Um, and, and Conan went so far as to say, like, they kind of are the perfect intermediate between our classic view of a garter snake in North America and our view of Nerodia. Um, but if you kind of, if you're one of those people that want a bigger garter and you like the kind of aquatic a- aspect and of keeping these guys, the, you can't go wrong with the Equus. They're they're pretty phenomenal. I'm I'm totally on their team when it comes to promoting garters. And Rob is the guy to go to if you want some. So, <laughs> uh, well, I guess that that wraps things up. So, if people want to find you, we already we we kind of uh, alluded to this at the beginning. But but how do people get a hold of you, Rob, if they want to um, reach out and find just you? message me on my Instagram, uh, Garter Guy. Pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't really mess that one up. So <laughs> I'm there. Alrighty. Well, this has been fantastic. I'm certain we'll have you on again in the future. Um, and yeah, this wraps up. I don't know what episode we're on, Matt. Is this five or six ish? Six. Yeah, six ish. We'll, we'll yeah. go with that. <laughs> um, so uh, thank you for listening. Thanks for having me, guys. Episode. I appreciate it. Yeah. No. Thank you. It's been fantastic. Awesome. And, and like I said, we'll have you again. But uh, thank you all for if you made it this far. Thanks. Um, as always, reach out. Let us know. We're still getting good feedback. Uh, Matt and I are kind of shocked at the number of people that we are getting feedback from. So you know, we're kind of reaching our goal, which was to, to make an impact and get people thinking about the husbandry of this wonderful group of animals. Um, I have a request, uh, especially for the diehards that made it to the end. 
Um, I am wrapping up the Dipsided book right now. I talked with my publisher last night, and I am in need of photographs, as many photographs as I can get. Uh, they need to be 300 DPI. So, you know, if you're taking pics with your cell phone, you can set your cell phone up to take a picture like that. Uh, but if you just take like a really nice picture with your cell phone, I may not actually be able to use it for the book. But if it's at that size, we're good. Um, but I need pictures of Baron's Racers, uh, Boy Runa Maculata, the the False Musarana or Musarana. If you, you know, Jen Joseph, Joseph Brown Musaranas, if you have those, send those pictures too. Um, tricolor hognose snakes, false water cobras, and lyophis and erythrolamprus. If if you send me a pic and I use it, uh, you're you will get name recognition in the photograph caption in the book, um, and you'll make it in the acknowledgement section. And I will absolutely make sure that that happens. So I thought it would be best to reach out to our listeners, um, and I know that we have some dipsaded fans here as well. If you need to get a hold of me. Uh, reach out to me on Facebook, just Zach Loafman. And then on Instagram, you can find me at Dr. Crawdad. Uh, and if you want to get a hold of Matt, Matt, where can they find you? You can find me on Facebook with Sarpamitra, as well as Instagram with Sarpamitra USA. All righty. So one more episode down. Uh, Matt and I are throwing around some ideas for the next one. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm certain, you know, We'll divulge that when you're listening to it. So without further ado, have a great day, night, whatever time it is. Have a good one. <laughs>